0: Father God, we thank you for these words. Please might you be speaking to each one of us through them this evening. Amen. One of my uh, favourite books, um, at least favourite Christian books, is a biography by the Christian biographer John Pollock. Um, It's called Moody Without Sankey. I was told once that every Christian should read it, and so I read it, and it is excellent. I would highly recommend it. It tells the story of the American evangelist D. L. Moody. Um, He was a nineteenth century evangelist and God used him in remarkable ways. One of the ways he used him was in Britain. He came to England in the eighteen seventies and he did just these remarkable talks. Churches would arrange events, people would flock to see him, pack out the rooms, and he spoke to thousands at once. It was exciting. In the 1870s, there's no doubt that God was doing something remarkable in this country through that man. But 150 years later, our passage today takes us to the first mission trip, the first time people were sent out to tell other people about Jesus. And so this evening, one of the things we're going to be thinking about is just that, is is evangelism, is telling people about Jesus. But I wonder how that makes you feel. Perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here this evening, and suddenly you're thinking, well, this isn't relevant for me, or maybe you're getting a bit nervous, thinking we're talking about telling people about Jesus. And if that is you, then do please keep listening, because we're going to see some wonderful things about Jesus this evening. But it might be that you're sitting here and you hear the word evangelism and your heart fills with fear. Because you go to work each day, you know you should be telling people about Jesus, but it's scary. You might get in trouble. They might not like you for it. They might respond badly. You just don't know and it's scary. But then actually that fear, I think, can then turn into guilt. Guilt. Guilt that you've got that family member who doesn't know and you just can't do anything about it. They just won't seem to listen to you. And, and there's guilt. It's hard. And I think actually that guilt goes a step further. And at this point I'm really just talking about myself. You know where in your head you know that the Christian message is powerful. That it can save people. And yet in your heart you don't really believe it. I could tell my, my neighbour about Jesus, but what's the point? Maybe 150 years ago people were open and ready to believe, but not today. What's the point? We're approaching the end of our series in Matthew's Gospel that we've been looking at this summer. And we've particularly been looking at Jesus' authority. Last week we saw, for instance, Jesus' authority over sickness and death. And now as he continues the work he's been doing, the work we see in verse 35, teaching in the villages and the towns, preaching the good news, healing every disease and sickness. Now we see Jesus come, stop and look at the crowds of people. And he says these well-known words in verse 37. Do have a look down. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. About a month ago, my wife and I uh, and my two children went on holiday to a cottage in the middle of the countryside. And what's great about this cottage is that you can't see another building in any direction. It's just fields on every single side. And the closest fields this summer are growing rapeseed, presumably for vegetable oil eventually, and I remember when I was young, we used to go and uh, watch the combine harvesters going through the fields. I don't know if you've ever seen a combine harvester. They kind of go at a good pace through the fields and pick up all of the corn and the grain or whatever it is. And then there's a big bowel that shakes it all around and a big kind of sieve-like thing that gets all the, uh, the, the good stuff, the seeds, down into a container below. And actually it's relatively straightforward. The farmer sets the settings and then just plows through the field. But in Jesus' day, a harvest was a lot more complicated, or a lot harder. You'd have a big team of people, you'd work long hours in the heat of the sun, and you'd have to pick it all up by hand, take it to a threshing floor, winnow it by hand, and get these big things and blow it with... It was just a big job. It was a lot of work. Jesus stopped. He looked out across these people who needed help. He saw lots of work to be done. But who was going to do it? I wonder what we'd suggest. Maybe we'd uh, set up a committee to come up with some sort of plan. Or hire a worker or an evangelist or something like that. Did you see Jesus' suggestion? It's there in verse 38. Jesus simply says, ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest fields. Ask. Kind of simple, isn't it? But who are we to ask? Who is the Lord of the harvest whom we're meant to ask to send out workers? And I want to suggest this evening that Jesus himself is the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. But why? Why Jesus and not perhaps the Father or someone else? Well, it's because of the things that in our reading today we saw Jesus do that shows us that he is the Lord of the harvest. So first, let's see that Jesus cares. See how much he really cares. You know, sometimes it's hard to know if someone actually cares about something. A bit like the politician who um, is a bit late to the concern. You you don't know ever if he really is that bothered. But when someone gives everything, gives their all, their lives to something, then you know they care. Like the husband who cares for his elderly wife. When her body and her mind start to fail her, then you know he cares. Let's read from verse 35 together. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Here's someone whose actions show that he cares. You know, he effectively made himself homeless. He left his home. He didn't have anywhere to stay. He left his job and his parents, and he just went and got involved in people's lives. And he didn't kind of preach a cold message from a distance. He got involved in the nitty-gritty with every sickness and disease. And so when we then read in verse 36, Matthew's comment, there's no doubt. See what it says. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. On the same holiday, uh, we went to a petting zoo with my one-year-old daughter, Lydia. She had a great time feeding all the animals. Well, there was one bit of the zoo where, for some reason, there was a gate, so we went through the first gate, and then there was another gate, so we went through the second gate, and I was why are there two gates? But before I could even finish the thought, a sheep comes running up to us excitedly, just right there in front of us, and my daughter went over the moon. You know, she gave it a big hug. She kind of really wanted to to feed it. She loved this sheep. We were having a bit of a sheep theme that week as well, so it was really ideal. But then she realised the best thing at all. She would silently walk up behind it so it didn't know she was there. And then she'd pounce on it from behind and grab it, and it would startle and run off as fast as it could, and she would run after laughing. And I I genuinely ended up running around this sheep pen, going, stop harassing this sheep. But that is not what Jesus has in mind. I will bet he had in mind that passage we read from Ezekiel. That passage that talked about the people of Israel as harassed sheep, weak, sick, injured, dying, lost. And so Jesus has compassion on them. He cared for them. And because he cares for them, and because he sees there's so much work to do, he sends. That's the second thing we see about Jesus. He gathers some workers together, and he sends them to help. See uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He gets twelve helpers together to do the work, twelve men who, presumably, you know, they were well educated, theologically trained, respected men, right? Well, no, they weren't. They were fishermen, they were the working class. One of them was Matthew the tax collector. The one who would have been hated for cheating the people and working for the Romans. Simon the Zealot. Apparently that means he was an insurrectionist, a rebel. He wanted to rise up against the Romans. This is a motley crew of men. And yet, these are the ones Jesus chose. It's a bit like sending a banker, a baker and a nun to build a house. But this is who he chooses. I think it's worth saying something about those miraculous powers they were given. Does that mean those doing a similar work today should expect these miraculous powers? And without getting sidetracked, I think it is worth saying that in Jesus' time and in the decades afterwards, there was more prevalence of these sorts of miracles. And that's because in God's plan they had a particular purpose to authenticate the gospel message. So as they see Jesus' power, they see the disciples' power, they would believe the words they were saying. But then as the New Testament started to be written, there was less of a need for that. And so today, actually we shouldn't just expect powers like that. Because actually what authenticates our message today is, isn't so much those sorts of things it's actually just the lives we live for if like Jesus we care for people then surely people will listen to what we say Jesus cares and so he sends more workers I think it's remarkable how quickly after telling them to ask for workers for the harvest field does Jesus himself then answer that prayer by sending some Well, what does Jesus do next? Does he leave them a bit like Alan Sugar with a task to do, go home, put his feet up and wait to see if they succeed? No, next he instructs them. He gives them instruction. They didn't really even have to use any initiative. Have a look down at verse 7 of chapter 10. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons... Freely you have received, freely give. Do these things sound familiar, the works they're doing? It's Jesus' work, isn't it? It's what he's already been doing. He's been doing those healings. He's been teaching that message of the kingdom of heaven. They're just joining in. As a lecturer at college. He tells um, a story of, of why, how when he was a vicar... Every now and then someone would come up and say, how do you come up with a new message every week? And he would answer simply, well, it's not my message, it's God's message. I'm just preaching what he's already said in the Bible. And in the same way, these disciples, they don't need to come up with their own original thoughts. They're even given the message to proclaim. So Jesus cares, Jesus sends, Jesus instructs. And just in case he hadn't done enough already, he also provides. Verse 9, don't take any money with you. Verse 10, don't pack a suitcase. Verse 11, don't go on booking.com and find a comfy hotel to stay in. You know, imagine that. There's only one moment in my life which is particularly comparable. When I was in Botswana and some friends thought it would be a good idea, unable to book a hotel in a, or a campsite in a safari park, just to drive the hours into it. With the petrol indicator going down. And no idea where we were going to stay. I hated it. <laughs> it was pet- It was scary. But it was vital that this is how Jesus sent them out. Because it forced the disciples to learn a really important truth. A lesson that is, that is actually what we've been building up to. It forces the disciples to know. That it's Jesus' work and not theirs. That Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, not them. So when they went into a town and they preached the message about the kingdom. And they were received and welcomed with joy. Then they would know that it's not because they've done anything particularly well. But it's because of Jesus. Jesus. Equally, when they went into a town and spoke and their message was rejected and they had nowhere to stay and they had to do that funny shaking off the dust off their feet thing, then they wouldn't think, oh, I've messed up, I've done something bad. No, they'd know that it's not they who are rejected, but Jesus it's Jesus who cares, it's Jesus who sent them, it's Jesus' message, it's Jesus who provides, even providing the miracle that's needed for someone to believe. It's Jesus' work before they got involved. We thought a little bit about, at the beginning, about that feeling of, what's the point? I remember um, at university, going to a talk similar to, To this just before one of the terms began. And being encouraged to pray that God would put on our heart one person that we could tell about Jesus when we returned to university that term. A few days later I remember sitting in a room with the other 16 engineers in a meeting about who knows what. But we were introduced to this girl, let's call her Sarah. Now Sarah was over for eight weeks only as an exchange student from America to do engineering with us for a term. And I have no idea what else happened, but I just remember thinking, I should tell her about Jesus. But I didn't really know how to do that, so a few weeks later, when there were some talks that the Christian Union were putting on, I said, hey, do you want to come? And she was trying to be a good kind of English tourist, so she was like, yeah, why not, and came along. And she heard about Jesus, and she wanted to know more. So she had all these questions, I didn't really know how to answer them, so I invited her to church and she came. And within six weeks of arriving in the UK, she heard about Jesus and committed her life to him. What I love about this story is that it's clearly not me who was at work, but Jesus. Jesus cared about Sarah before I even knew her. Jesus sent me to her without me knowing. Jesus provided talks for her to go to, provided all that she needed, and I haven't even told you the best bit of the story yet. She was always taking photos. And being a real tourist, she wanted to go see Canterbury Cathedral. I've never been, but she really wanted to go. But there was a sign by the entrance saying, no photography. So for once, she just had to go and look. And as she was walking around this huge building, thinking she suddenly realized that she had to commit her life to Jesus. And so there and then, she prayed for forgiveness. And then when she arrived back in Cambridge, she told me and she said, that it was because there was a sign on the door saying, no photography. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. It is his work before it's anyone else's. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And there's nowhere that we see that more clearly than at the cross. For it was not me, but he who had the compassion to go and die. It was not me who hung there bleeding in agony, but he alone. It it was not me who took on the shame of sin and hung there and bled. It was not me who died. It could not have been me. I wouldn't have done it. It could only have been him. But hope that he did. For as he hung there and he cried out, it is finished. It's as if he was saying, I've done all the work. I've done it all. I've done all that's needed for Johnny e. Laws to be saved. I've done all that's needed for David to be saved. I've done all that's needed for you to be saved. I've done all that's needed for your dad or your child or your neighbour to be saved. I've done it all. We should never think that Jesus doesn't care. We should never think that Jesus isn't willing and able to save. If you're not a follower of Jesus here this evening, then can I say that Jesus cares about you? That actually, in this passage, you're the lost sheep that he wants to draw home. That he wants to bring you in to bind your broken hearts, to bring you back to him. If only you'll let him. Jesus cares. But if you are a Christian here this evening, then we are left with a question. Because if it's Jesus' work, then what about us? What's our role to play? And the first thing has to be that we're to ask. That's the instruction given, isn't it? Ask the Lord of the Harvest. To send out workers into the harvest field. I heard recently of a pastor who has an alarm on his phone set to 10.02 every day. And that is because the same verse that's here in Matthew is in Luke chapter 10 verse 2. And so it reminds him every day to ask the Lord of the harvest for workers. It's a simple thing, maybe each of us could set our alarms to 9.38 each day and ask. But I think there is a step further that we need to go. For at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus instructs his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission. And that's a commission that includes us. In a way, Jesus has already sent us out to the lost sheep. And it would be so easy for me to now simply say so go outside, find somebody who doesn't know about Jesus, and tell them about him. That would be so easy. And yet I think it would be missing the point of this passage. And so what I want to do this evening is just suggest a slight simple mindset. What I want to suggest is this. Each day as we head out in the morning to work, to college, wherever we're heading, to say a simple prayer. And after lunch, as we return, to say the same simple prayer again. This is what I want each of us to pray. Jesus, it's your work, not mine. What are we going to do together today? Jesus, it's your work, not mine. What are we going to do together today? And then open your eyes. If someone's upset, perhaps instead of simply just giving them advice like you'd normally do, perhaps that's an opportunity to offer to pray for someone. If someone talks to you about a concern in their life, whatever it may be, maybe that's a chance to say, well actually I do this because I'm a Christian and I believe whatever it is. It might even just be, If every morning you walk to the station, you put your headphones in, you keep your head down, it might just be taking your headphones out, looking up, and seeing if anyone needs any help. At my old church, we had a South African uh, cornhiller. And it was a shame, after a couple of months this stopped, we kind of knocked the South African out of him. But at the beginning, he was just constantly helping people. You know, someone needed directions, and he didn't know where he was going, but he tried to help. Someone had too much luggage and he would take it all the way home for them if they needed. But it meant that he was constantly talking to people about Jesus. And we were just like, how are you doing this? But he just had his eyes open. And he was expecting God to be at work. Imagine we each left here expecting God to be busy in Hampstead. Praying that he would be at work, looking for opportunities, and then speaking when we can, inviting when we can. Some people would not be interested. We must know that when we speak to someone and they don't believe, it isn't our fault. They're rejecting Jesus. But won't there be others You will believe. Is Jesus not compassionate? Is Jesus not willing and able to save? Does Jesus not have lost sheep across Hampstead? At your workplace? At the Tesco checkouts? Are there not lost sheep waiting for someone to be sent to them? So this week, let's go out with our eyes open. open. Let's go out wondering what might Jesus be up to in the lives of those around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are The Lord of the harvest. Thank you that it is your work. Before it is ours.